and Nick Flyger, he did his master's with uh, Will Hopkins. He supervised my my master's degree. Um, so yeah, so certainly going to get worse before they get better. And if you're in another country, things are also getting worse. Uh, if, you know, you know, fortunately for Europe and a lot of other countries, they've, they've had a lot better leadership. Uh, again, looking forward to some more science-based, evidence-based approaches to dealing with the pandemic. Um, some, some, just some really awesome scientific advances. Again, if you don't follow the vaccine science. Um, it's really worth a listen to. I've, I've, I've had a chance to listen to a number of podcasts and talking about the the uh, the various iterations of vaccines, and it's 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 super cool. I mean, we uh, for as bad as this last year's been, we live in an age where you, you know no other scientific uh, advancements have occurred like this, and it's it's. Um, it's really been astounding. So, you know, hang in there. Uh, we do have a year coming up. Hopefully, by maybe May June, we're getting back to some some semi normal competitions. And when I say that word normal, I mean you know all of us or a lot of us are getting out there. Uh, I I know people that have competed and raced in 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 a lot of events this past year. And and you know personally, I think it's crazy. Um, I'm not willing to take that, that risk, but, uh, but 2021 is looking better. And so, uh, we are looking forward to, and this is the first podcast of the new year. We're going to be talking with a PhD candidate, Hamish Ferguson. Now I, I do mention, uh, in my interview, Hamish is probably the uh, least well-known coach that, that y'all should know. I, I've been really fortunate to know Hamish for the last few years. 
um, they, actually more than a few years, probably six, seven, eight years. I uh, just lose track of the time, but uh, Hamish is finishing up his PhD, and again, I, as fortune would have it, uh, he asked me to to fill in um, to take the spot of another PhD advisor. So I'm going to be working with him to try to finish that PhD up. Uh, and one of the things that we do kind of talk about um, and circumvent in the interview is a paper that he has coming out that that we just worked on. It's a review paper uh, in in uh, sports med, and so it is in the review process. Went in for revisions. Um, so we're hoping that we, we hear some good news in January. But Hamish really is focused on sprint cycling. So if you are a sprint cyclist or a coach that's interested in track sprinting, this is the interview that you'll want to listen to and you're going to want to follow Hamish. Uh, he's got some really interesting ideas. And so in the process of putting out his paper, it was awesome to sit down and read and, and and hear his thoughts on that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I also want to remind you, it is a new year. Please support this podcast. We need your support. That includes donations. You can head on over to www.go1mm.com. That's go1mm.com. Hit the donate button, donate there. also want to remind you to write us a review on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, Anchor is going to be our new home moving into the new year. Uh, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, uh, write us a review. Five stars really helps us get noticed and uh, get some new sponsors for the show. And as always, if you have questions, contact me at go1moremile at gmail.com. That's go1moremile at gmail.com. Talk to me. Let me hear what you think of the show, and you can send me questions and ideas as well. But for now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Coach Hamish Ferguson. Stick around. To the One More Mile podcast. On today's podcast, we are going to be kicking off our 2020 New Year and interview series with probably the uh, least well-known and one of the best cycling coaches out there, Hamish Ferguson. That's the way I like to put it. Uh, because the reality is, is that a lot of people, you you say Hamish's name and they don't know who he is, but they don't actually realize uh, how involved he's been in the sport. He's been coaching for, I, I think, almost three decades. Uh, he was a rider in New Zealand. Before that, he, he, he coaches juniors. He coaches world-class track athletes. Um, some great road athletes, and so he's he's been there, but he's also an innovator, and he's been involved in Training Peaks and WKO and in in the development of their metrics. So I really want to welcome Hamish to the podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about training. So again, welcome Hamish Ferguson. 
Oh, g'day. Uh, it's great to um, well, actually finally talk. We've been friends for, for quite quite some time. And, um, obviously, very respectful of your uh, research and background and experience and, and, and coaching. And, and, yeah, I've been a cycling coach uh, 2021. It'll be my 30th year of, of being a cycling coach. I was a rider here in New Zealand. Um had to give up because of my knees and, and uh, suddenly picked up a lot of uh, people who were sort of keen to find out how, uh, for someone who was pretty untalented, I still managed to uh, do quite well as a cyclist and, and uh, so got coaching at, at quite an early age, um, you know, in my 20s, coaching uh, riders onto the New Zealand Olympic team. Um, also, at the same time, uh, started down an academic pathway, uh, initially in psychology, um, then sort of gravitating more into the sports sciences, um, taking on a more mm, physiological and biomechanical uh, approach to my study. Um, got out of cycling for uh, a while. Uh, but then came, came back in and, and just really ripped back into it and I've been going ever since and the academics progressed on to getting a master's degree and um, yeah, uh, two years ago started a PhD and uh, got a very good supervisor and uh, a professor, a distinguished professor Jeff Chase uh, who's an American who I helped relocate to New Zealand about 25 years ago and um, yeah, and halfway through, well, quarter of the way through, I sort of thought uh, one of my supervisors um, was just on a slightly different track. And, uh, yeah, so I thought, oh, hey, Chris has always been, uh, you know, really good with the um, applied stuff. So, yeah, um, asked, uh, asked Chris to be, uh, I'll ask you to be on board. And, and um, yeah, um, I certainly appreciated the input and um, Jeff being a mechanical engineer and um, targeting a lot of our research towards uh, sports science journals and, and, and papers. Um, uh, Jeff said that it's been great uh, having someone with your your background and you know it's, it's, a, it's a it's a slightly different language and a slightly different different approach. Um, so I think um, yeah. I've got a really good team behind me for my PH, PhD, and um, yeah, and the, the the research is certainly helping with my applied um, approach um, to coaching. Yeah, you you've um you've got a really interesting background in in. And so, you know, for me coming on board to help with your PhD, uh, that it's a unique experience uh, for me. Here, you'd be the first PhD student that I've that I've worked directly with. Um, but also being being in New Zealand, um, and re really, I am an academic who doesn't doesn't really have the opportunity to to work with a lot of high level. Uh, students and research and kind of my own research is, you know, for better or for worse, and, and I think in this case, for much better for me, uh, you, you know, just collaborating. I've been, been collaborating a lot with people that I've met over the years, and, and I always tell students, you know, it's like networking matters, um, and it matters so much, but you just don't realize where that network will take you until you're kind of in there, and so this is a case of... In it, just a, 
a random, I think a random Facebook uh, suggestion for a friend. And, and I'll tell you a story that, that, that you don't know, um, but I actually, when I raced the, the Melcross in I, I don't know, 2000, 2001, I, I knew a Hamish. And, and for some reason, I, I confused you with him. And then I realized that that was a different Hamish. But uh, but I looked at your background. And I said, well, this is pretty cool. So, you know, somebody must be telling me that I got to I got to be friends with this guy. And um, and so I, I God, that must have been 10 years ago. Uh, but I, I've really seen you kind of develop ideas and 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 you coach a lot of different levels um, why don't you, why don't you kind of take us through kind of what you feel like your specialty is as far as you know coaching? Because I know your PhD deals with with, with track sprinting, and I want to get to that. But but where do you think kind of like you're you're best suited as a coach? Well, it was the it was the crazy thing because. I was uh, I had to give up cycling because my knees uh, started to give give out when I was 21. Um, so I was racing as as an elite, and the third person that I uh, asked me to coach him was Brian Fowler, who um, was New Zealand's best road cyclist at the time. He's nine years older than me, and he. Um, you know, and he asked me to. He'd already gone to uh, three Olympics. Um, he was uh, eighth in the points race in, in, in LA, sixteenth in the road race. There was a weird blurb on him in Winning Magazine about having drunk uh, sixteen bottles of water on the, uh, the Mission Beijing uh, circuit or the Asia circuit in, in in the LA Olympics. He also raced in in. Um, uh, uh, Amongst Commonwealth um, countries under UK, um, there's also the Commonwealth Games, and he was a, a Commonwealth Games medalist and a Commonwealth Game a gold medalist in 1990. And um, so yeah, so I and then the fourth person I coached was my my, my friend Ewan. And uh, the next year at the New Zealand Elite Road Nationals, they finished first and second. Uh, Ewan won from a solo breakaway, and Brian won the bunch sprint for the silver medal. And um, and that fast-tracked me into a coaching elites, b uh, coaching at a national national level, um, and um, yeah, and I sort of progressed from there. But I, I, what I think I, I think I missed was coaching at a junior level, coaching at a, at a development level. So when I took a break from cycling and uh, came back in, I thought, right, I'm going to start with juniors. And so I just went out and started working at uh, a development level, uh, working with the, the Canterbury. I'm based in Christchurch, and um, Canterbury is our, our province, uh, working with our Canterbury development program on the track and um, taking, taking teams away to, to various track events, road events, a little bit of mountain biking uh, for a brief Time there, I was coaching some of the world's best downhill cyclists, um, a, lot of, a lot of Kiwis and, and, and a few foreign riders um, uh, there as well. But um, yeah, uh, so I'm coaching. You know, so I still coach our yeah, development program because I love it. Um, and uh, ten years ago, in fact, ten years ago this month, uh, a rider um, that came through development and I ended up coaching her and. Yeah, you know, and she 
was, was clearly a very good sprinter. Um, went to Junior Worlds, won medals on on the track in Junior Worlds. Uh, was it into the national program, and and, and and as a 19-year-old went to the Rio Olympics and, um, and uh, Olivia Podmore, and she's yeah sort of made this 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 progression here and. Um, even though she's in the high performance program and they've got their their their, their coaching staff, um, we still got this amazing relationship, and it's it, it's it's gone from you know me telling her what to do and uh, to that sort of collaboration, and now she's at that top 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 level competing uh, at world championships. Uh, She's teaching me um, a lot of stuff on, you know, what it's like to be there and um, racing the Kieran at World Champs, racing the sprints, uh, doing the team, doing the team sprint, being at the Olympics. She was, um, if you recall from the Olympics track cycling, there's that awesome photo of the the Dutch woman riding on the on the fence line on the track, you know, um, and all that. What you don't see is is Olivia. Uh, Basically, doing a big starfish um, because of the the crash that that caused, and um, and then the <laughs> um, yeah, and the and the four months, uh, four weeks of concussion uh, afterwards um, from that. Um, so yeah, so I'm at a sort of um, an interesting level where um, the politics in New Zealand sort of mean I, I don't get the opportunities. Um, to coach at a nas- national level, but I'm still very active at a at a regional level. Um, uh, I coach track, I coach coach road, but my preference is is for track. Uh, it's just solely because everything happens in front of me. Uh, whereas uh, I took a team to the Tour of Tasmania in Australia, um, which is a, a phenomenal event, and um, but. Even though our team was fourth on, on GC because the rental car that I ordered, they gave me the wrong car, which was too tall, so I got shunted to the back of the convoy. And uh, sitting 20th in the convoy, you don't see a lot of the racing, so you know you're, you're really just talking to riders afterwards. Whereas track, everything happens right in front of you, and um, you get a, a really good understanding of the performance. You get a really un- good understanding of of the riders and. This is an aside. I'm also a commissaire, so uh, I got to be a commissaire of the 2012 Junior Worlds in Invercargill, uh, in the south uh, south of New Zealand. Um, and on the Cambridge Velodrome, we've had you know three World Cups, and get to get to watch the riders um, there as a commissaire, and sitting next to the British pit and watching uh, Sir Jason Kenny uh, warming up and just. You know, amazing how relaxed he is for you know a guy who's done so much in sprint cycling. So, um, so, so you've you've had a lot of a collaborative relationship with riders. Uh, you know, what I guess from a you know a junior training standpoint, what do you think is the role of a coach as far as? collaborating with juniors because again we're we're you know we're often talking about kids that are you know 16 17 um they don't they don't know a whole lot about the world 
but it, I think it's important from a developmental standpoint that, that you know, we're communicating with them and that we're teaching them how to communicate back. And I, I see this issue in collegiate athletics, uh, you, know, you know, from an academic standpoint, is that I, I see a lot of kids in college who, they, they one, they don't understand training, um, and that's a whole other thing, but they they don't understand how to ask the questions to their coach and their coaches are unwilling to even hear them, <laughs> you know? So it's, it, it creates a, uh, you know, not only a difficult relationship, but really a subservient relationship. What, what do you think the role of a junior coach is as far as just trying to work with riders and collaborate? Uh, you, you, you hit on something that uh, it, it should should be, yeah, so obvious that you know these these kids they know nothing, um, which is just because they 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 they've done nothing. They haven't spent the time uh, doing things, and and their motivation is, you know, the motivation is 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 for racing, and it's and it's something that I've certainly observed in cycling in comparison to uh, other sports. Um, other sports have a really good culture of conditioning, uh, rowing, skating, triathlon. Um, and uh, cycling is more more traditional. Um, you know, there's, there's, yeah, a lot of folklore. And, um, and it makes it really hard. So when um, the, the Vantage Drone was built in, in Cambridge, that's that's our home of cycling, uh, predominantly the track cycling based around the indoor velodrome. It's a, 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 a tier one facility. It's got all the bells and whistles. Um, but the interesting thing is that this is, is uh, Cambridge's next to Carapero, where our, our, our world-class rowing program, you know, we, every year at the Olympic, every Olympic cycle, we, you know, we, we win medals in rowing and, you know, often gold medals in rowing. Um, it's, a, it's a very well-established program. And um, same with our triathlon. We've had great success in, on the world scene in triathlon. And... When the cyclists moved to Cambridge um, in a centralised program, and it was it was good because the cyclists moved in with the rowers or the triathletes or the, um, uh, the the other sports people in the region in the Waikato region based around the um, Cambridge and. Um, like almost off the bat, the rowers just looked at the cyclists and said, "Yeah, you guys got no idea about training because the rowers be on the water in Carapero, you know, at the, uh, five o'clock in the morning. Then they then they jump out on the bikes and they go out for ride for three to four hours with the cyclists, and then cyclists would go home, and they'd be in the gym or they'd be on the erg or they'd be back on the water, and uh, they'd be training um, ten hours a day." Um, whereas the cyclists would be training two, two to four hours a day, and um, so even just that sort of you know understanding of what is required physically. But there's 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 so much more more to it, and it's yeah the the focus has always been on the you know the, the, the physical aspect of uh, of things rather than you know the uh, training environment. Um, which is 
which is huge. And yes, the, definitely the communication with the athlete and 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 res, you know getting the riders to understand that there is is so much to learn. And and, um, and I guess the best example of that would be Olivia Podmore as a teenager uh, finishing her last year of high school and getting a call from the national coach saying, hey, look, we looked at your performances at Junior Worlds. You're the fastest over the second lap of the women's team sprint. Uh, so we want you in our, in our national program. Uh, we want you to come to Cambridge uh, to live and train. And we're going to support you to do that, i.e. funding. Um, a lot travelled to Cambridge and tried to make it and, you know, they've got no money, they've got to work, they've got to, um, you know, they don't get the access to track time that the, the high performance performance do. Um, the most important thing I said to Olivia as she went into this um, high performance environment for the first time is that, well, look, you know, you still have, she was very focused in, in, in junior cycling, more focused than others, uh, is a great communicator, you know, would always share everything with, uh, with me from, you know, being a female athlete to, you know, her monthly cycle, how it affected her, her, her training on a given given day and how we'd adjust things um, around there so there were no barriers there to communication and, and, and she would ask anything um, if she didn't understand anything she would seek clarification and um, and so that was that was that was really good but starting in high performance it was you know you still have so much to learn you know, and even now having been to an Olympics um, been to a Commonwealth Games, been to several World Championships, World Cups. You know, she's she's travelled the world from you know, Brazil to Kazakhstan to Korea to all through Europe, um, America, T-Town, um, racing there. Um, she's, yeah, but she still knows she has so much to learn, um, but also... Has good leadership. I, 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 she's back home in Christchurch for Christmas, so I get her get her in t in front of a couple of my junior uh, junior girls um, to to basically share those things and also just to provide a, uh, those junior young junior girls who you know, perhaps don't want to you know discuss some of the uh, female aspects of, of, of the sport with a, uh, an older male coach um, to get yeah, some information there and for Olivia to give me some feedback and that, you know, hey, look, we you know, really, really need to get these girls and probably everyone I coach working more with a sports doctor to um, you know, just make sure that they're, they're, they're staying healthy, they're staying um yeah, so yeah, definitely that communication is 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 just so important, and and encouraging that communication and making it, you know, the athletes. I, I sat down two brothers, uh, fourteen and sixteen, and and you know, and just reinforced that that the, the one moving into under seventeen, um, that you know, it's just 
you know, do everything, learn everything, have a go. There's absolutely no pressure to perform. The only pressure I'm putting on them is is what they learn, you know, reflecting on each 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 race. What did you do? What did you learn? And what can you do better? Because we can always do better. Uh, and then the under-19, you know, so he's going into... You know, longer races, unrestricted gears on track, uh, going from a, a 65-kilometre road race at Nationals to 130, from a 15-kilometre time trial to a, uh, a 25k time trial. So there's still still that that huge learning aspect, and um, and it didn't just how important it is that they uh, communicate uh, to me. Um, and it's certainly more than just the data. Um, you know, they've both got power meters because everyone thinks they need a power meter. But it, you know, I, I try and tell them when they upload their data, it says, "Look, the data's cool, but I want your communication. I want to know. You know, did you enjoy the race? Did you have fun? Did you, you know, did you learn learn something? Is there, is there something you think we can?" improve in the training and your preparation and the, and the coaching so you know we can we can go back or we can go to your next race and you know and and do better and and, and have more fun and um, yeah so there's <laughs> yeah it's yeah that communication and and um, role of learning and as as, as juniors and, and, and yeah just so huge yeah, I think that that's you know one of the um, you know one of the frustrations that I had with with junior coaching uh, is that in the U.S. and and I and I'll and I'll touch on kind of our current situation. I I have been detached from the sport uh, for a long time now, but I, I still you know, I still pay attention to what goes on, and it it, it disappoints me, but. You know, as both a, a junior rider, and I came up through the junior ranks, and as a, a coach of junior riders, there is both a lack of opportunity to uh, connect, uh, particularly in the U.S., with opportunities to race, um, and as a coach, for opportunities to coach. And so when, when I set up my junior team, um, it was kind of a confluence of events and things came together and, and um, I did end up with a good group of kids, but I basically had a group of kids that nobody wanted. Now, now, now some of these kids were good and some, some weren't, I mean, some, some of them were, were, were terrible, but, but they were juniors. Okay. And I needed to fill out a team, but I also had a belief that, you can you can teach a rider. I mean, as as long as they have physical characteristics that you know they're reasonably fit and they they've been doing other things, they they can they can definitely develop into decent riders. But my main thing was like, let's take this group of kids and let's get them as much experience as we can. Um, and so uh, to kind of you, you know bring us into kind of like the current situation with cycling, it's it's that you know the, these kids always lacked opportunity, they lacked a chance to get noticed. Um, you know, coaches lacked a chance to get involved in in coach on a national level. Uh, and so now we're in this situation where you know our federation has ro rolled out this you know pay to play. You know, we, you, your parents drop down ten thousand five hundred dollars, 
and your application gets accepted and now we're you know we're going to put you into this program and it's it's kind of it's kind of like, come on, you know, we know what this is about. You're, you're collecting money. You're not going to really diversify the riders, the, the, the same really, really good riders that are always going to get noticed. And in, in the one program in the U.S. that consistently produces great riders is hot tubes. Um, but there's a reason, and, and, and part of it's because they have a reputation for developing great riders. And so any great rider that gets noticed is going to go to hot tubes. They're not going to go to the national team at this point because we have no national team. So it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, that, that communication part, you know, what, what do you think is really going to be the, um, you know, the way to, to move junior development forward, either, you know, from, from the U.S. model, which I, you know, from my personal bias is terrible, but, but just in general, like, what, what do we need to do to get juniors, um, you, you know, to the races that they need to, to, to learn? I, I mean, not, not even the world-class level, just get them to these races to learn how to race. Yeah, it, it's you know, yeah. I, I, I looked at what US cycling are doing, and I mean, you know, twice ten thousand is, is 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 a huge sum, and and, and but then I see two hundred and eighty one um, uh, people uh, have have applied, which um, you know, New Zealand's certainly not a not a second or a third world uh, country, but you know, the, the, you know, we we are very respectful that uh, you know when we've gone to America, then you know, uh, our definition of wealthy is is completely different to you know if, if someone is is a millionaire, they they want another planet uh, to. Close me immortals, but you know in America it might it's, it's a different situation. Um, you know, and I thought, well, you know, that's 280 people. That's 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 2.8 million. Um, that you could actually, you know, do do something do something with with that um, in terms of setting up programs or. Uh, um, race race programs and, and things things like that and and it's it, it's not the same situation in New Zealand but it's similar in that um, we have junior development uh, we have a small uh, junior development we've got a, a, a junior national uh, road series uh, junior national track events. Um, leading into our national championships, and in those uh, in those sort of programs, and there's you know there, there are training camps run, but it's um, yeah, it's not a very good progression. It's you know it's based on the um, the demands that of you know and especially. Being in New, in New Zealand, uh, for our riders to go to uh, junior track cycling champs or junior road cycling champs, where um, it's a it's a ten to fifteen thousand New Zealand dollar um, investment, which is um, which is 
it's huge, and that's that's just to go, and that's in a non-COVID area. You know, we're looking at a junior worlds in Cairo in April next next year, which won't happen. But yeah. you know, just going through the logistics at the moment, it's it's five thousand. The only way to get to Cairo from New Zealand is is via London, which is five thousand return, and uh, even just to get to Australia for an Oceania. Uh, championship uh, is just 2,000 in flights um, and dependent on you know whether you know so the one thing New Zealand did is we shut our borders um, and um, so we're you know we're, at, at present we've got no community transmission of the COVID virus and, uh, which is great if um, people in isolation units returning to New Zealanders returning and some people coming over to, to work here um, but they're isolated <laughs> there but it, it's um, yeah it's it, it's yeah it's expensive enough just to just to get to key events and uh, recognising that and, and recognising that you know $10,000 to go to Junior World Road Champs to do you know, for, for one or two of the riders to do the time trial and, and everyone to do the road race so is is a bad investment in time and money. Um, it's nice to get the T-shirt and to say you've you've raced at a world world champs, but the long term success of those riders um, in terms of making them as professionals is and even our junior world track program. Um, again, it's you know, it's a ten, ten to fifteen thousand dollar investment to go to jun, junior worlds. And, um, yeah, and do you yeah. see a, a better progression going into from junior worlds into our world becoming world elite world champions, becoming Olympic Olympic medalists? Um, yeah, so it's yeah. Um, yeah, yeah one big, one of the things that um, do, do, you know, you know, you're you're talking about like getting them there. One of the things that I think is interesting, and I don't, I don't necessarily say that we can apply this this model, but if I look at what triathlon has done, or you know, uh, just specifically USA Triathlon. And I don't know what their money situation is as far as putting it into development, but they have been able to monetize age group athletes, okay? And I know this because I've raced triathlon for, for, for about a decade now, and it's just the sheer volume of people that come out to these events. And, you know, you go to national championships, and there are so many people there. And, and you, you know, you can qualify for, for, for triathlon worlds, whatever event it is. And, and the bar is fairly low. So you, you go down and you, and you qualify and it, they'll take, uh, you know, up to 18 slots, meaning that I think they'll take four slots. And then if you give up, the, the first four give up, they'll roll down all the way to 18th place. But, um, but you, you get tons of people that will go there and they'll pay the package and they'll do all this. And... And, and one of the things that I find interesting with cycling, and again, I don't know if we can do this, but there there is a disconnect in the sport. And, and the, you know, the most classic example is criterium racing, where, you know, you show up to your race and you race two laps and they pull you. And it's like, well, what do I want to do this sport? This sucks. You know, in a triathlon, I get to finish and I at least 
I have a sense of accomplishment that I think often cycling, um, you know, if we bring this back around on juniors, juniors will have a big sense of failure because there's many opportunities to fail and we need to find a way to, to give them enough success. And I'm not, I'm not the, the, the guy who's saying everybody gets a trophy, but there, there is this, we've got to find a way to, to keep them in the sport because the costs and the burdens to get to these big races is high enough. But if you're always kind of cutting them, you know, early, early on, you know, in all the races, then it's like, well, why, why do I want to stick around? I can go off and do something else. Oh, totally. Uh, and yeah, and it's, it's, and it's, it's the big thing. And, you know, and, 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 and like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't go well because I've, you know, coached a couple of Olympians and I've been um, getting close towards 20 world, ECI world championship medals. Uh, I, I'll, I'll still coach anybody because I, I, I learn so much from everybody. And I, I'd actually like that challenge of, of taking somebody with absolutely no talent because um, that's who I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know... Creating somebody who who gets value out of their 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 time in the sport, you know, and one of the big things for me is is leadership because I believe everybody can be a leader, you know, even to um, you know team pursuit. You know, I had a rider who was who was rider four in the team team pursuit, and 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 I really stressed her role as a leader. And even though she was the fourth rider in the team, and that if you know somebody new come along, she'd be the first first to be cut. She could she could still be the most organised. She could still be the one who gets the best sleep, and and the you know, and also um, she could be the one who's you know like always organised, always got a got a tyres pumped, her, her right gear on. Her, um, her kid is always, you know, she's always presentable. You could sort of say, oh, look, there was one of our um, high-performance junior athletes, and yeah, um, and that. There's, 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 there's so much you can do, um, and, and and just just the respect of um, the crowd. That you know, you're always out there, you're always enjoying it, you're always. You know, and you're, and you're happy for those uh, that are that are that are doing better, and um, and you just you know you're there because you love the sport, and um, so there's yeah there's, there's there's definitely that opportunity, and yeah, and it's all about the result, and you know, and so and it's a frustration of coaching and seeing other coaches that you know it's a, it, it's all about the win, it's all about destroying the competition. You realise if you destroy the competition. Then you don't have competition. Yeah. You won't have competition. Everyone's going to leave. They're going to, you know, it just, it just, it's just not fun. And we do right. see so many high-performance athletes uh, quitting the sport because it's, it's, it's just not fun. You know, Olympic-level athletes, Olympic medalists, uh, world champions, quitting because it's just not fun. Which is, you know, it's that's that, that's, that's terrible. Um, being a high performance athlete, travelling the world, getting to meet awesome people, it should be, you know, uh, pinnacle moments in your life. Um, so yeah, so there's a there's a real disconnect between uh, what we what we're actually trying to achieve. And, yeah, I think yeah, for yeah, yeah. you know, I think for me, I, you know, at this point, because I don't, I, I don't, I don't coach 
many people, every once in a while I'll get somebody that contacts me, but you know, at this point in my life, I, I, I'd be more than welcome to coach a junior, uh, for nothing. I mean, I, you know, cause I know if, 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 if I met a junior who that, that was the kind of the, the difference between them getting a coach and not getting a coach is being able to pay. Um, I don't, I don't want to deal with the money. You know, I, I'd rather have the commitment from the rider and, and be able to work with them. Um, but I don't, I, I don't want to deal with the, the money issue. If I can get them in the sport and keep them in the sport and keep them progressing and, and, avoiding all of the 8 billion mistakes that I made, you know, from the time I was a junior up until I'm, I mean, even now, you know, I mean, I I make training errors. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's that process of working with somebody and watching them develop and, and, uh, in, in, in being able to do things that one, they, they couldn't do when you met them, but also, things that they didn't think they could do um and that is really impactful for coaching uh because that's i I mean i think that's what drives a lot of us is that we you know i mean we like 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 the sports we're involved in but we love that process that process of of the progress um and i think that that's something athletes often lose is that we, we we often talk about goal setting um but you know, when I talk to student athletes now in college, I, I say, you know, I don't really care about competing much anymore. I love the process, and you'll see me training as if I'm I'm going to do a race of some type because it's the process of the training. You know, it's it's what can I improve? Oh, you know, this isn't very good right now. Well, well, let's see how how much I can improve it, um, and, and trying to get them to focus on that 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 growth. Um, and I think I, I had mentioned this to you because I, would, I was talking about Alan Piper, and I had um, I, he, he used to do a column for Velo News, and it, he had this, this one article in there, and he talked about that. He talked about reflecting on his career, and his one piece of advice was to really not focus on the destination and to really focus on the journey. Because for him, the journey, when he looked back, the journey was everything. All of the awful, terrible parts of racing and being poor and, and all this other stuff, all of the great stuff, that, that, that was for him the most important thing. And that, honestly, that column was one of the more influential um, uh, things that, that, that I read as a junior. Oh, definitely, and you know, Alan Piper's a, a, a great guy, and um, like, yeah, yeah, being Australian, and you know, he, he's 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 as a, as a junior, he, he came and uh, raced in raced in Christchurch before I was in in, in the sport. But there's there's so many, uh, yeah, um, you know, there's there's heaps of photos of him him coming over, and 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 Phil Anderson and. You know, and, and, and you know the stories that we you know, think they were both Melbourne, and um, Bill sort of came from a from one of the wealthier sort of suburbs when Ellen sort of come from the uh, less 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 wealthy, but you know both through various uh, ways and means, you know, ended up doing amazing things. 
because um, you know Australians face the same same barriers, you know Europe or America is just so far away, and um, and it's, it's, a, it's a big big stretch um, to get over there and to survive over there, and you know and you, you know you, you go what Alan Piper's gone through, and you know and to see him his role on, on, on UAE, you, you just couldn't think of a better guy to, to guide you to a Tour de France win yeah. than, than Alan, Alan Piper and, or, or even a Phil Anderson. I, I, I sat down at an um, Australian Cycling Federation coaching course and uh, the name tag beside me said P. Anderson and yeah, Phil sat down beside me and um, I was like, oh my God, it's, you know, and and one night, he was just telling us about the day in 1981 where he took the yellow jersey for the first time. And, and he, you know, told him, look, I want that jersey back. And, um, you know, and Phil being young and just went for the time bonus sprints. And so he, you know, just absolutely put him to the sword. And, yeah, um, and it's, yeah, and it's, and it's experiences like that that, you know, this was 20 years later, and um, you know, and Phil was, you know, still still living it, and but still, you know, doing doing cool stuff. Like he runs cycle tours, and you know, it's just a, a great ambassador for cycling and and, and Australia, and um, so yeah, and, and and these are the things that you know I, I I want for my juniors rather than just you know a medal or you know. To, uh, to say they went to junior worlds or or something like that, you know, I want them to, you know, tell their kids. You know, says, oh, you know, there's a there's a development program for cycling, and you know, I I, I enjoyed cycling so much. So you know, if you, you gave it a try, and you know, even if you don't like it, just just, just give it a try, and, and that there that that for me would be the one. And, and you know, I'm, I'm now saying you know, I've got. Riders that I coached back in the nineties who've got kids and, and and they want me to coach them and get them into the sport and and, and, and kids that I started coaching ten years ago now have, have their own kids and they're saying, Oh, in ten years time I'll I'll bring them along and you know and we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll try them in development and yeah, and that's that for me is the real cool thing. Cool. Well, um you, you know, one thing that I definitely wanna talk about, so I wanna the uh, shift focus because we started off talking about your, you know, your PhD and, and, um, you, you know, that shift and, uh, you, you know, that, that road, ha having been down that road, not, not that long ago. Um, it's a, you know, it's a winding one and, and there are lots of bumps, but your research, um, is really interesting. And so we just wrapped up a review paper, um, you, you, you know, you did the lion's share of the work there, um, but, but pulling together a review on track sprint training and, and performance demands. Can you tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about really, uh, what your, you know, what your hypothesis is for your PhD and, and really what you're trying to look at there? Um, and, and in your opinion, um, what you think uh, sprinters, particularly track sprinters, but but I, I think sprinters in general are missing in their training. Yeah, uh, I've 
always had some, you know, I've always kept coached all, all aspects of the sport. And, and it was interesting uh, um, in that um, I had a junior girl come out to, um, to track and, you know, showed a lot of speed. And, um, and I ended up um, coaching her and, you know, and she, she, she did very well with all the all the sprint events, winning winning medals, even though her her, her tactics and her technique was, was terrible. She'd hoped she would never ride up the banking. Uh, she was scared of riding high on the banking, and and that was Joanne Kizanowski, and and Joanne ended up um, riding three Olympics, uh, winning medals in uh, Commonwealth Games level competition, raced professional, uh, finished off her career uh, racing for Tipco. Um, married Jeff Pierce, and, um, and so Jeff, I think, is uh, still the national selector for the US. And Joe has a role on as uh, uh, with coaching the juniors. So she was there in um, the UK with uh, with Megan Drastrab and um, for her win at uh, Worlds, and, and she's also got a role on I think it's the rally. Uh, professional professional team, um, which is really um, really cool, and, um, and, and and I've always had had sprinters, and then you know, and then when Olivia Podmore uh, come in, and even though you know, as, as as part of her development, we did in track endurance, we did road cycling, um, when. Olivia went into the national program. It was a complete shift in training. Where it was just all sprint, gym and and and, and sprint. Olivia would uh, sprint for ten seconds, rest thirty minutes, sprint for ten seconds, rest thirty minutes, sprint for ten seconds, and go home. And and, and that's all she did. She did hardly any any endurance work. There was no um, interval training or, or anything. Um, it was just solely sprint, 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 and you know, and that made me question um, the way they trained. And it's and it's the way everyone trains: um, uh, the Australians, the the Germans, the uh, the Dutch, the uh, the Brits. Um, or that they say they train. Um, so I started, you know, sort of digging into it and looking at the physiology, looking at the biomechanics, looking at the the power power data and, um, and all that. And you know, look, I've always been keen on on, on modelling. I looked at the uh, performance manager uh, metric uh, for my master's degree and. You know, not surprisingly, found that it didn't really relate at all to uh, performance, um, and so I started developing models of, 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 of sprinting and looking at different metrics and, and, and um, or different durations of, of power to see if there was any influence um, of longer uh, training metrics, uh, longer duration power. Um, on short-term, short-term power, or you know, you know, is is there still an aerobic component? And then most of the physiology says says yes, and that's just for one-off 
a one-off sprint, like a 30-second uh, uh, sprint or an 18-second uh, start lap for the team sprint, uh, the, the 18 to 20 seconds it takes to do a flying 200 from when you jump off the top of the banking to the, to the finish line, uh, or going with um, two laps to go with the, in the Kieran um, event. So I started to yeah, put together a, um, a proposal there and, and um, yeah, uh, I applied to the school, uh, the, um, uh, the School of Physical Education at the University of Canterbury and, and got turned down, which my friend Jeff Chase, who I'd helped relocate from uh, San Francisco, he did his PhD at Stanford, um, to, to New Zealand, sort of said, oh, right, well, okay, come come with me and we'll do a, a, a PhD through the mechanical engineering department in the centre of bioengineering where Jeff does a lot of uh, mechanical engineering but he also does a lot of biomedical uh, research and um, you know, one of the projects is they're working on ventilators, uh, so one ventilator can be used to uh, debate two people um, and they're, they're putting that, um, all the designs out there for free just because you know, that's what the world needs at the moment and it's also being at work on uh, glycemic uh, control um, and all that and, and he's got a background in cycling we, we argued on an internet forum, a cycling forum like the old cycling coaches forum or whatever um, 25 years ago and um, yeah, and so yeah, I've got, got him as a supervisor, and that's that's that, that's really cool. And so doing a lot of the modelling. So yeah, we've done the slip review, and, and and there's certainly a lot of evidence there to say, well, hey, look, let's compare the current approach, which is just solely to build peak power, peak strength, peak cadence, uh, peak speed. Let's look at you know actual performance. No sprint event at world championship level uh, as a one-off event. Even a kilo now, you do a qualifying ride and then do a final. Uh, sprints, several rounds uh, over one or two days. Uh, Kieran, uh, they've now added an extra round to the Kieran, so that's that's four or five rides uh, in a day. And um, the team sprint. Um, so Tokyo with the TV requirements. It was a two-hour window, so it was very likely all three rounds of the team sprint were going to be um, within a two-hour period. Um, so not only is there an aerobic component to a one-off sprint, but track sprinting and competition is about repeated sprint performance and you know, there's some very exciting uh, new data coming out showing um, you know, riders, uh, sprint cyclists, especially those with a high proportion of fast twitch type X fibres, um, take a long time to recover. So not only do you need a little bit of aerobic to perform well uh, and a little bit of aerobic, well, more aerobic to repeatedly sprint, but you also need a lot of aerobic to recover fast between sprint rounds. Um, so that's where my, you know, so the, the next study that we're uh, we're working on is, is is looking at the role of uh, twenty second power, uh, twenty minute power, 
Interesting points here. Um, you, you know, historically speaking, I, if, if I go back and into my way back machine, I remember Marty Nostein, um His training was very different from a classic sprinter. And you know, at the time, I think a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, why is he doing all these long hundred mile rides? You know, he's he's sprinting on the track and." Um, you know, looking at it now, you, you know, being more familiar with with your research and and uh, you, you know, working on this review with you, uh, it, there's there's a lot there, and I think that part of the confusion, um, it, I, and just coincidentally, is a confusion between running, sprinting, and and cycling sprinting, and I I actually got a. Um, you know, a different question on a on a run forum talking about well, how come, um, you, you know, how come endurance runners they train so much and their and their muscles get smaller, um, but these sprinters they don't train that much and their muscles are bigger and so so kind of parsing that out, but you, you know, there's a lot there. But but I said, well, you know, you, you one thing you have to keep in mind is that um, there's a very specific um, outcome that you want from from running sprinting and uh, from endurance running but I said if you look at a a a sprinter on the track as far as like a runner um, they have a lot more muscle mass 
than an endurance runner. And that's pretty clear. And, and again, smaller muscles going to be more, it's going to be better suited to aerobic um, or oxygen delivery. But if we compare a running track sprinter to a cycling track sprinter, you see an equally massive disparity and and a lot of that has to do with just the biomechanics i mean biomechanically speaking um there is no way a track sprinter in cycling is going to be able to run effectively um there's just too much hypertrophy but they don't have to okay they're, they're concentrically loading the pedals they have to produce a lot of force so they 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 can utilize that muscle mass, but but what you're saying is that you can even in those cases you can have too much power, which is really kind of interesting. Um, I I think for anybody who's thinking about that, because on the surface that's that's ridiculous. How could you have too much power? But I I think from a you know in a necessary aerobic component, what people forget is that the recovery process for sprinting occurs and it occurs aerobically. So this is a really interesting paradigm that needs to be explored because again, if we want to optimize training, we can't just continue to train the same old way that we've always been training. Uh, we've, we've got to think about this. And when you have looked at those components for what is, um, you know, what's needed in a sprint event. You're talking about these narrow time windows and you're talking about these athletes that need recovery time and, and all of this comes into play and you put that together and you're like, well, wait a second, we maybe need some more aerobic training, you know? I mean, we can't just do one sprint and come back two days later, you know? Yeah, def- definitely, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's very interesting. It's that, yeah, it's definitely the comparisons between sport and there's there's so many cool uh, new imaging studies that uh, allow us to um, non-invasively look at what's happening in the in the muscle, look at the yeah. differences uh, between athletes or between a, a block of training and look at the effects and and uh, break down some of the misconceptions. You know, the first thing when you, you say to a, a, any old-school sprint coach, they well, look, I think they need to do a few more aerobic rides. Oh, no, all their, their, all their muscle fibres will um, convert, which... Yeah, you know, potentially the, the data suggests that you can have, you can have too much power. It's, maybe it's not a, a, such a bad thing if, if, if type X fibres start to look a little bit more like uh, type A fibres, uh, and um, to you know to reflect the actual sort of dynamics in the sport. Or you, you look at uh, studies comparing uh, powerlifters um, with track and field sprinters with uh, middle distance runners and, and, and the, uh, the, the differences in, in the muscle fibres. And it could be, you know, that we, you know, we do look at um, these athletes and say, well, hey, look, you, know, you, you, you need to focus on being a, being a powerlifter because you're, you're almost all type 2X uh, muscle, muscle fibres. You, you won't have the endurance to ride hard for, for uh, 10 seconds and certainly not the endurance to ride. Because we've, I've seen that sprinters that 
go out ballistic in a, in a flying 200 and just just die after 100 metres. They just they just enter the tank so yep. rapidly, so so fast that you know they're actually small suited to yeah something like like powerlifting or you know being able to tell the athlete that you know see sprinting and can, can go relatively fast, but you know it's it's it's, it's telling them it says well look you know you would you're not going to make it to to the top top level. Um, you know, a very interesting article from Lynn Monroe, who uh, did her uh, PhD uh, in biomechanics. She's one of the uh, Australian Cycling Federation high performance coaches, and you know, just saying, you know, women need to you know work on you know developing, getting bigger, and challenging stereotypes about uh, body image and. Um, and, and, and all that, and you know, and, and, and being strong and having muscle um, to be competitive uh, in, 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 in sprint cycling. You also look at the Dutch cyclists um, who are the world's best. Certainly, the men are the world's best, and uh, got great depth in the in the program. A lot come from BMX. A lot come from skating. So there's, they're coming from you know uh, either. Uh, programs where there's you know very good attitudes towards conditioning and, and but you just look at the Dutch cyclists and they are just they 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 built they just look so much bigger and in so much better condition than a lot of the other world level sprint cyclists. Um, so yeah, so we you know we're looking to, to to challenge. We're not saying you know we'll just you know totally. You know, ignore your sprinting. You always have to sprint. I, you know, I remind sprint cyclists, you need to be doing something fast twitch every, yeah. at least every five days. Yeah. Um, more, much more so than endurance cyclists, where is to maintain a lot of your endurance cycling you know, components. You, you could go weeks, you know, with just one to maintain, not to develop, but just at least to maintain. You can go one or two weeks with some of those endurance qualities and just one stimulus every one or two weeks will maintain that level where sprinting it's, it's it's at least every five days you've got to tap into those fast twitch x fibers or you do you do you just you don't lose them you just you're just not training them well one one of the interesting things in in and this is um you, you know i'm just thinking about it now because you're talking about two two x fibers um, I worked in spinal cord injury for for about three years, and in in that time, um, you know, I learned a lot about what happens in the first, really, the first six months of paralysis, and pretty much all of the fibers go over to two X. Um, the 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 two X fiber is kind of like this this. Uh, uh, this progenitor fiber, it's kind of like the base fiber. And so in development, and again, we, we don't understand a lot about development and how fiber typing occurs there. But if you are paralyzed within a year, nearly all of your muscle fibers are 2X. And so, so a couple points there is one, um, they they suck for endurance and and by endurance i mean again like you said 10 15 seconds you know so when we get somebody who 
it has been paralyzed for, for you know, four, five, ten years, and we get them on an e-stim bike where we can shock their muscles and get them to pedal a bike, they'll last, you know, for lucky 30 seconds, and they're fatigued, you know, and then we crank them and give them some stim, and we bring them back again and again and again. Well, there's been some, some really interesting research, um, you know, particularly out of Europe, some muscle biopsy data, and they show that over 10 weeks' time, almost all of those 2X fibers convert over to 2A. You don't get any type 1 fibers back, you know, and, and, and this line of research is one of the, um, the more contemporary lines of research that really supports that idea that you, you can't train muscles to cross fiber types, but you, you can clearly get them you know, more like each other, but, but yes, you can tur turn those two A's back to, or, 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 or sorry, the two X back to two A's, but there is some research in particularly running sprinting that shows that if you take, if you time your, um, your, your non-training, so me meaning you've been doing a lot of track training and then you, uh, you take maybe two weeks off from from doing any type of uh, any type of reasonable endurance activity and again endurance gets kind of muddied here but we're, we're just talking repeated sprints would be considered endurance you go into the weight room you you focus on weight training you can get get back maybe um a few percentage points of 2x fibers um, and so, so I know one of the, the researchers that, that, that have looked at this is, is Bering Sorensen. Um, and he did a lot of this work in the, you know, kind of like 2010s and beyond. But, you, you know, if, if we're looking at trying to improve performance, yes, you know, 2X fibers are very powerful. But I think that there's a lot that we can learn with particularly non-invasive methods now where we can start to optimize this training where, where you're, you know, like you're talking about, well, we got to get their endurance up. We've got to have more aerobic capacity for sprinters. But then right before competition, if we can better optimize how to, um, you know, for lack of a better term, detrain, although it's technically not detraining, um, if we can if we can optimize that so that we get a, just a little bit of a bump in 2X fibers, you get certain athletes that are going to get that more explosive power. But again, I think for track sprinting, we're seeing very unique demands. I think if you're if you're an Olympic hundred meter dash runner, uh, for it, that in in that case, I mean ten seconds is it. I mean you anybody that watches that, they line up, they run, <laughs> you know. Track sprinting, there's a lot of tactics, there's a lot of stuff involved, and you, and you talk a lot about in your paper the flying 200. That's a lot of activity in there, certainly more than a track runner is going to do. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's only starting seconds. Um, you, you know, it's just simply timing timing the jump and and um and yeah you know, even just some some basic research uh cat phillips who was um who's doing her phd um was involved in the high performance program um you know just just simple things like time the the the, the entire three and a half laps that it takes to 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 get up to the top of the track to dive off and turn down and the less energy you use to get to that point where you jump, the faster you went. 
So, you know, even just technically and, and uh, technically minimising your power input to get to the top allowed you to maximise your power output once. Uh, once you once you jumped and, and and teaching riders how to pace, which you know came back to that uh, level two coaching course I did in Australia, uh, where Charlie Walsh took um, well uh, Gary West, the late Gary West took the sprint component, but uh, Charlie Walsh, you know, just an absolute student of the sport, took you know looked at the flying 200 and said you've, you've got to pace it you've got to make both 100 meters and so it's teaching right it's not to use you know uh, their peak power and um so yeah there's 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 certainly a lot to understand and you know and just what you're concerned about the you know the people in, in uh, paralysis you know that's yeah that's that's cool so, you know <laughs> yeah it's still learning which you know, even for someone, you know, coaching for 30 years, uh, you know, usually in school since 1993, yeah, there's just, it's just so much to learn. Yeah. So it, much it, to it's, learn. And, uh, it, it's a very, uh, you, you know, I learned a lot as, um, you know, both physiologist and just from a, a, a training standpoint, rethinking um, training because in that case, um, the training is so, um, it's, it's so primitive, you know, and, and that was one of the frustrations that I had, you, you know, wor working in that is that they're training the way we train paralyzed people <laughs> is appalling. I mean, it's, and, um, so, so, but, but I always liken, um, you know, what can you learn from, from other, you know, other populations and, and other areas and, and what, what can you then apply? Uh, and, and I think in this case, this is really interesting because I, I think from a cycling standpoint, um, you know, riders and coaches need to start thinking, okay, it's, it's, um, it's specificity, but it's not always, uh, you know, m mimicking the, the actual, um, you know, end result. And I think in this case, it's like, okay, well, you know, I want to be a great sprinter. I must only do sprints. But it's there's so much more, and you need to look at it. And I I think that that was one of the cool things that I I looked at you uh, that we had a couple figures in there that that you you had put in comparing a flying 200, and and and, and it can be very different. It can be just a, a almost a an instantaneous sprint at the end, or there can be a lot more involved. Um, before and then after, and so it's 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 something that we really need to think about as coaches in analyzing the entire event, not just the single performance measure. Oh, def definitely, and you see that in all levels of emissions well, and every level of sport, but in cycling, you know, the the, the debates over FTP, the functional threshold power. Or, uh, other metrics and um, a lot of the training platforms don't really help with, you know, when all training intensities are based off FTP, which, you know, so if, you know, if you do it that way, you know, like a, a sprinter doing a 60-second effort based off FTP, it's, it's, they're not, they're not going to break a sweat. Yeah. Uh, whereas the same intensity uh, for a road cyclist, 
you know, they'll just say, oh, geez, crikey, Ferg, you're being real mean today. Um, you know, just, you know, I didn't even get close to it. It was in 100 watts of uh, the, the power there. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, thinking, you know, more, more, more broadly about the sport and using the, using the uh, available technologies like using power to, to try and estimate the physiology, uh, the, the, get the data in the, in the field. It's certainly to hook, hook riders up to imaging. Yeah. Things and it, uh, when they're trying to, trying to race on the track is, <laughs> is almost impossible. Um, or um, endurance athletes with their with expired gas um, gas analysis and yeah it's um, yeah it's quite 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 challenging but you know certainly I, I, you know I think there's, there's there's a lot we can model with the with the power data to to add uh, to what we you know we can see uh, from the physiology and from the lab. Yeah, and, and I, I uh, you know, I think that the 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 amount of data that we have now, and um, I mean, well, really, the amount of data that we have is 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 a bit overwhelming, and I think that that is, you know, part of the issue with trying to find what metric do we need to look at it and so you know this is always one of my complaints and i i will not get down on a tangent on on training peaks but this is my main criticism is that when we roll out metrics we're we're literally putting the cart before the horse because we don't we don't know we we don't really understand the performance but we're going to come out with a metric to measure it and it's like well what what does it mean and I think in this case, you know, what, you, what you're trying to say is like we're looking at the performance and this is where the performance is in this box. And our metrics, at least the ones that we have, seem to not necessarily be in the box or, you know, they're not certainly centered. And, and so it's trying to find not one metric but the metrics that combine to give you the best uh, you know the best outlook on performance and prediction, and then optimizing training to meet those needs. And it's not, you know, it's not like a, um, you know a roadmap per se to be able to go from point A to point B. It's kind of like you're 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 all over the place just trying to get this, and then once we get it all together, we try to assimilate it and 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 come up with some answers. Oh, totally. Um... Yeah, just another discussion on a on a, on a uh, the uh, the British time trial uh, forum, and, and you know, and people were asking, how do I use because um, use concepts like uh, functional threshold and and, and um, yeah, they're, they're they're good for a broad broad overview, but you know, at the end of the day, performance. Uh, metrics, so coaching track cycling, it's, it's it's what's the flying 200, what's the uh, what's the, the the time trial track time trial, what's the individual uh, pursuit, and the you know, junior cyclists, and and then uh, what is their you know what is their pacing like in those for a, for a start? Because in, in all three, you can go out too hard, you can go out too hard in the flying 200, you can definitely go out. Way too hard in an individual pursuit and die a million deaths. Um, 
And then you've got to take that to things like like the races, like a sprint. You know, if you're in two, you've got to decide on the track uh, where to pass, where to pass on a certain track. Uh, Invercargill track's more pill-shaped, so you've got long straights, longish, relatively long straights to, to pass on, whereas our, our track in Cambridge is more circular. So you have to actually spend more energy trying to get past, so you're actually fighting for position before the sprint starts to uh, try and bear uh, a points race. We've got, you know, anywhere from four sprints to uh, the 116 sprints in a, in a points race. It's, it's pacing those sprints and, you know, seeing how the recovery there. But, there, yeah, there is a lot of metrics, and, you know, and, and the latest one in WKO5 is uh, a power-based estimate of uh, VLA max, and and I and I was on the working group that discussed this, and I and I really challenged it. I said, look, you know, it's um, you can't call it VLA max for a start because you're not measuring lactate. Uh, lactate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's the same with it's the same with critical power. You can't say that critical power is your uh, maximal metabolic steady state because you're not measuring uh, you're not measuring actual physiology. Um, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be taking two to well, ideally at least five data points and, you know, plotting out the asymptote and, and so forth. And, and um, yeah, and, and, you've, you've, and you've got all these metrics. And um, But because it's out there and, because, you know, and, you know, I think BLA Max, and I know you're doing some work on the, on this, and but it just... You know, uh, a general reluctance to look at look at lactate measured from the elbow or the finger, and you know, so I don't believe it reflects what's happening in the working working muscle. And recognising it's not lactate that's that's making you fatigue. It's um, you know, it's a byproduct of uh, glycolysis, and uh, yeah, yeah. You're starting to sort of get a little bit airy fairy with the physiology, and, yeah. and, you, and you're trying to estimate <laughs> something based on power data from this. Yeah, if I ever um, if I ever get my data uh, done, we're, we're we're trying to get a cohort of women finished for our VLA Max um, study, and I, I'm in COVID. Uh, really, you know, made a mess of that. Um, but I, I do have a way to collect it. I just don't have the time right right now. Um, you know, I mean, I can mask up and and and, and get it there. The testing procedure is pretty safe, but um, but but it's problematic. And and we want to do a cohort of women because there are differences in lactate level for women. And I'm I'm for you know first I'm going to have a hard time publishing it in and of itself. Um, because it's VLA max and it's not that pop, you know popular in the literature per se, um, but what we saw is that as a standalone measure, um, it, it, I question what it gives you. Now, now I, I understand the concept and I've used the, the conceptual framework, um, and you know your the, your ability to produce lactate or your propensity to produce lactate does impact your lactate curves. You know, if you want to call it max lactate steady state or lactate threshold, whatever you want to call it, it does impact that curve. But as a standalone measure, it's misused. 
and I, I can tell you from the sprinters, well, just from the cyclists that, that we tested, it, it doesn't predict sprinting worth the crap. It, it never has. Um, it never will, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but to measure it or to estimate it is, I, oh, man, that's just, I, I don't it, It's not a, something you can really estimate. I mean, if you don't measure the lactates, I, you, I'm not sure what you're estimating. It's just a power test. Yeah, and Dr. Uh, Nathan Townsend on 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 uh, Twitter, um, yeah, basically said uh, um, a young researcher out of Austria, Peter Leo, uh, yeah, basically said, yeah, it doesn't use VA, uh, VLA max, and um, yeah, and it's basically, yeah, yeah. You use a comparison of your 30 second power and, and, and whatever uh, other power. So, for a pursuit, look at their, their three to five minute power. Or yeah. For a time trialist, look at their, their, their 20 to, to, to 45 minute power. And a road cyclist, you know, go out a wee bit further and look at the comparisons there. It's, a, you know, it, it seems to be, you know, it's, it's making it way more more complex that if you've if you've got a road cyclist whose 30 second power is crazy high and they can't do a good 40k time trial then um you know focus them on the pursuits or you know look at look at, the, at their training why why in their training are they doing really good 30 second power when you know you know that their talent lies in, 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 in road cycling and, and just, yeah. just focus on that. And well, well you, know, you, know, you mentioned 30-second test, and I, 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 I mean, I love the 30-second Wingate. I, I, did, uh, I did my PhD, uh, why well, I utilized that um, for, for part of my PhD, but, um, you know, 30-second sprint is fine, um, but, uh, you, you know, what's your 30-second sprint after you've already done four of them? Um, you know, what's your 30 second sprint after you've done a 40 K, you know, these, these are really important. And I, I, you know, some of the guys in my study, I, I had a friend of mine, he, he so destroyed himself in the first 30 second sprint. He had, he had four others to do by the time he got to the last one. I, I think his last sprint, he averaged like 250 Watts for a sprint. <laughs> Because he was shattered, and you could have rolled him out the door at the end of the training session. He was shattered. And so if you have a, if you have a rider that has a great 30-second sprint, but after four, they, they can't do anything, then that, that tells you a lot, too. You know, what, don't overcomplicate the measure, I think, is what, what I'm saying. I mean, just, you know, look at all the data. Yep, totally. Uh, you know the um, the power duration curve and and uh, WK5 and you know the the basic is just you know test tested all all durations. You get a, yep. a, an idea. So uh, for me with uh, Olivia Podmore, she's got freakishly high five second power and then it drops off really rapidly. And it's you know hey you're a sprinter and um, got some riders that are you know their relative. Uh, one minute power is, is is very high, so they're they're definitely good for uh, rider one, rider two, and a two in a pursuit, and uh, drops down a little bit more. It's yeah, they're, they're rider three, rider four, or you know, good good points race rider, good omnium rider, and, and if they sort of start to drift out further and further, it's you know they're they're more more suited to 
the road cycling events and um, you know, all the way down to it, um, uh, uh, Chris Froome uh, type, type rider um, that, you know, will have very little fast, fast twitch, but man, they can, you know, they can sit on a really high uh, endurance power for, for hours. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours, and yeah. they can ride a ride a, a, a coal in the Tour de France, and you know, by the descent, they've they're ready to, to smack it up up the next one because they're um, they are riding, they're racing to their to their strengths, choosing their right events for their physiology, and because they understand their physiology, they're they're racing to uh, maximise that um, when competing. Yeah. Oh. We could uh, we 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 could go on endlessly talking about um, this, but um, I really appreciate you coming on, and I you know because I am attached to your research now, um, I'm going to be eager to get you back on, especially when we get done you know studies uh, studies two and three, and um, get some more information there. But uh, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be interesting, and, and I'm always excited to get back involved in cycling research because that's how I got started, and I mean that's my favorite still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it's it's great. There's just so much to learn. And, um, in 2014, I got to go to the World Congress of Sports Science, um, the cycling uh, the, 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 um, conference at the start of the Tour de France, and it was great and nice. to see some of the world's best cyclists. But I also got to meet Heiko Solitzweedle, um, who you know I believe is one of the world's best coaches, not just not just cycling coaches and. And I, you know, and I just asked him, I said, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? And he said, you know, he's sort of pushing 60 and, um, you know, always learning, always learning. And you've, you've, you've got to be always learning. As soon as you, you think you, you understand something, that's, 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 that's where you, you think you know it all, that's, that's, that's when you stop and that's when you stagnate and, and you get left, left behind in the dust and, um, yeah. It's really great having you on board, and as I said, you know, Jeff really appreciates your um, contribution to it because he doesn't understand a lot of the ways things happen in sports science. And um, um, so, yeah, um, it's been a great collaboration. So, really appreciate. All right, thank you, and you have a uh, good, safe holiday, and we'll be talking to you soon. Okay, sounds okay. great. Take care, Hamish. And we are a wrap on another One More Mile podcast. Just a reminder, folks, you can head on over to our website, www.go1mm.com. That's go1mm.com. You can check out some of the articles and information. Going to be retooling some of the articles from the past, updating and revising and putting some new information up there. You can also... Head on o- over to the website and donate. The donate button is there. We'd appreciate five, ten, uh, w- whatever you can provide to support this podcast. And as always, you can also write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, Anchor, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Head on over there and write us a review. And as always, you can email me at go one more mile at gmail.com. That's go 
mile at gmail.com. However, this is a new year and we're going to be doing some new interviews. So be on the lookout for those. And as always, we've got tons of great tip casts coming out. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out, head back over and check out our 12 tips of Christmas from the past year. You want to make sure you get those in as well. But as always, folks, it is a long haul. It's been a, uh, a long 2020, but this is the new year. So remember, keep going. One more mile.